0: Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles today, turn over the book of Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in verse 36. Today we're going to read about a very intriguing and remarkable character in the Bible. And again, sometimes when we speak of the word character in the Bible, we get the idea somehow it's a Disney character or something, a made-up character. But that's not the case at all. This particular person lived... Just as alive as you are, as I am. Notice what it says in the book of Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 36. There was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Aser, and she was of a great age, and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but serve God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all men that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Father, we ask, Lord, you'd bless us in this time. We pray, Lord, that you'd walk these aisles and speak to our hearts, do a work in our lives. We are desperate for your touch. We pray that you would just empower us and enable us now, Lord, to receive exactly what you'd have. Pray, Father, that you would just give me a passion and a power to proclaim your truth the way you would have it proclaimed. May you give to me a holy unction, and may I, Father, preach with authority and power. Be glorified now in this place. We desperately need you. May you, Father, keep the devil from coming and stealing the seed that will be planted. Father, may it be profitable to all. Lord, if there be those that are without Jesus Christ, who have no confidence in their faith, we pray that before they leave, they would know without a doubt heaven's their home and that you are their Father. We Thank you. We'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Before we introduce our heroine in the story, so to speak, we're told about another faithful Jewish man who was part of that remnant that eagerly looked for the Messiah, A man by the name of Simeon who the Bible tells us diligently awaited. He awaited the consolation of Israel. Or if you would, the Messianic hope. He sought for the Messiah. He looked for the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. One of the traditional Jewish prayers is may I see the consolation of Israel. Well that prayer was answered for Simeon when he saw Jesus Christ in the temple. He was a man who was led by the Spirit of God. He was taught by the word of God, he was obedient to the will of God. And I believe he was therefore privileged to see the salvation of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Simeon had waited for years. He had watched for years. The Bible tells us in Luke two twenty six, And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Therefore, the... Fact is is that Simeon would live until he saw the Messiah and he had that promise that had been given to him by the Holy Ghost. Finally the long awaited day arrived. In came Mary and Joseph carrying a little babe. Simeon would take that babe up in his arms and he would literally gaze into the eyes and face of the creator. When he saw the Savior, Simeon asked God to take him home now. In Luke 2, 29 through 32, the Bible says, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. I think it's rather interesting to note the insight and the understanding that Simeon had as a result of his thorough study of the Scriptures. See, most missed what the Old Testament Scriptures hinted at and what Simeon understood so clearly, that Jesus was prepared before the face of all people and that he would not only lighten the way of the Jew, but he would lighten the way of the Gentile. That's not something that became normal. That's not something that was embraced until after Acts chapter 9 with Paul the Apostle who would ultimately go on to be the Apostle of the Gentile. Then we come to Anna, the heroine of our particular story. She was a member of the tribe of Asher. See, when the northern tribes were taken into captivity in 721 B.C. by Assyria, they assimilated into the culture. However, from our scripture, it appears that there were those Jews who continually and constantly preserved their tribal identities. She and her family said, don't forget that you are Asher. Don't forget of what tribe you come from. And so we see that many did not forget those things. Also, Anna would appear to have been married in her teens. That was pretty common in those days, actually. But then would come early widowhood. See, the Bible says that she was of great age. It goes on to state that she was married for seven years before she became a widow. And then it says she was a widow of about 84 years. Now, one could conclude that she was 84 years of age, I guess. You can look at the scriptures and you could say, well, she's a widow that's 84 years old. However, I believe from what I can tell, and just again, this is my opinion, and I don't really know that it matters that awfully much, although everything matters in the Word of God. But in comparison to some things, I'm sure the age of Anna isn't probably the most important one. However, I believe that she was probably around 13 or 14 when she was married, seven years married, and then 84 years widowed. I mean, again, that's how I perceive the passage, and one of the reasons I believe that is that I think there's an interesting aspect here. She is spoken of as being of great age, and then we see the passage where she's 84 years. I think what we're trying to say is she's of great age, but she was 84 years widowed. Now, again, you don't have to agree with that, but that's kind of where I lie with it. But the fact is that she was of great age. Can you imagine 105 years old, probably? Some have said that Simeon was probably over 110 years of age at this point. I don't know. I wasn't there. Were you? And the Bible doesn't really tell us exactly how old they were. But we know that Anna was of great age. We know that following the death of her husband, she gave herself over to God. The implication is that she never remarried, that she literally made a commitment to remain unmarried, and then she gave herself totally and completely to God and His work. She made God's home her home. She made God's house her house, and she had made it that for 84 years Another interesting fact about Anna was that she was a prophetess, which meant she had a special gift of declaring or interpreting God's message. Now again, there were other prophetesses in scriptures. We think of Deborah. We think of, of, of the four daughters of Philip, the evangelist. And there are others as well that have been deemed. We think of Deborah, Miriam. The role of prophetess is no longer really in existence. It doesn't exist the way it did back then. Someone says, well, why not? Well, because it's not necessary. Again, we have a completed scripture today. And the truth is, is that God is no longer dealing with Israel. And What we're going to find is that many things change when he ceased to deal with Israel. As a matter of fact, the passage, the only other place we see uh, this uh, passage used, of course, is with Philip's four daughters, but that's an act still. There's a transitional period taking place. We're going from the Old to the New Testament. We're going from dealing with the Jew to dealing with the Gentile. We're going from the law to grace. We see this transition taking place. Then all of a sudden, as the word of God is completed, there's some things that do not, There's no longer listed or mentioned. They're not needed or necessary. Can I tell you, the next time you see the word prophetess, it's in Revelation when it's dealing with the woman that sits on the beast. She was a false prophetess. But we do not take away from Anna and her position and what God used her to do. There's no doubt that she studied the scriptures. There's no doubt that she was waiting for the Messiah. She found herself a niche somewhere near the temple courts where she served God. And we're given an idea of the work that she performed each day and each night. The Bible says that she prayed and fasted. It says in Luke 2 37, and she was of a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Now, our first reaction would probably be well, prayer and fasting isn't really work. That's not work. That's prayer and fasting, preacher. you would consider prayer and fasting work today. And and the question is why? Well, let me give you two reasons that I believe that we don't really probably view prayer and fasting as work today. I mean, if I came to you and said, oh, by the way, I hired someone to simply pray and fast all night and all day, every day, and we're gonna pay them $1,000 a week. You'd say, huh, that's not work. I'm not saying, maybe you wouldn't, but I think majority of people are like, prayer and fasting, yeah, that not work, why? well why, here, let me give you two reasons why I believe that's the case today, it's been neglected, and therefore, few realize how much discipline and dedication or work it demands, it is work to pray and fast, let me tell you, that's real work, Amen. second, we've been conditioned to believe that real work is secular, and it has to provide an income, or it's not really work, See, spiritual disciplines today are viewed as voluntary and supplemental. They're not essential anymore. See, one of the first things that goes in your life and in mine is probably the Bible reading and prayer and then the church. I mean, I've got to provide for a family. I've got to make make money. I've got to put food on the table. I've got to put a roof over my head. I mean, I've got to work. Right? We don't consider spiritual disciplines as work anymore. And yet... The Bible teaches us that there is no more essential work to be done than spiritual work. And we see Anna here. She is working now. I'm not saying neglect family, and I am so fed up with people that want to put words in people's mouths. Oh, well, you're saying work isn't important. You're saying we should be lazy. You're saying we shouldn't provide for our families. Who said that? You did. I didn't. I will take you to scriptures that we talked about today in our class about work where it says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. then you should disassociate with people who have that kind of character. That's what the Bible teaches. So I'm not saying don't work in that regard. I'm saying that we need to be careful that we don't dismiss spiritual disciplines today and we view them as anything less than work. Because I promise you something, if you'll pray and you'll study, the Bible says study is weariness to the flesh. It's nothing but real work. And can I tell you, Anna had character Godly character, not just character to get up and go to a job and make a few bucks. She had character to get up, get in her Bible, read, study, and pray, and then she even fasted and sacrificed herself, her substance, so that she could reach the heaven and reach the throne of God. She came into the temple one day. She caught sight of old Simeon. Old Simeon. Old sin and he comes in and he's got this man and woman beside him and he's got this baby in his arms. And she walks in and sees him and she thinks to herself, oh no, this is it. This is it. As he gazes into the face of God himself, his lights, his eyes are twinkling and there's a glow about his face and she says, it's happened, it's happened. The Messiah has come. <laughs> this had to be an exciting day. Eighty-four years she waited. Eighty-four years she watched. She knew in an instant that Simeon's quest was over. And hers was about to begin. She began her new ministry by giving thanks unto God, the Bible tells us. In Luke 2, 38, when she, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem how quickly we are to forget to thank Him. I mean, she sees the Savior, and the very first thing she does upon seeing the Master, upon seeing God, the Creator of the universe, she begins to thank the Lord. She's very grateful, and she praises. Can I tell you, the day that you met Jesus Christ, you probably were thankful too. You probably praised the Lord. You probably said, oh God, I can't tell you how much I thank you and I love you. But sadly enough, in our lives, if we're not careful, that quickly fades. Oh, we must remember to praise him, to thank him. She took her place then in the temple court, and she began to witness to all who would listen concerning the good news, the good news that the Messiah had come. Isn't that interesting that Anna, over 2,000 years ago, witnessed of the coming of the Messiah It's sad that the Jewish people rejected one of their own, Jesus, and said, no, you're not our Messiah. Now, not not that all Jewish people didn't, but the, the nation itself had rejected Christ. Can I tell you that we live in a world where many are rejecting him as well, but you and I have received him. We, like Anna, need to be a witness of his coming and his reality. Well, I mean, but he's just a baby, Anna. Oh, I know he's just a baby. He's just a baby. But he's the redemption in Israel. He's the one that was promised, she would say. He may be a newborn babe, but he was here. He may be a newborn babe, but he'll grow up. He may be a newborn babe, but one day he'll pay for the sin of the world. So what are we to learn about this unusual and very special lady that each of us must recognize and embrace. Well, I'm gonna give you three thoughts, okay? Number one, first of all, here's something about Anna that I believe is important for you and I today as a believer. Anna was committed. She was committed. She was committed to God. She was committed to the ministry. You know, she was just a young woman when she became a widow. More than likely, she had just turned 20, maybe 21 at the most, and here she was now without a husband. It's interesting also to realize that from what we can tell, there's no reason to believe that she had a child at all. So she was childless and she was without a husband now. And she was a widow, here she was now. And she gave herself entirely to God in his work. I mean, there are plenty of reasons why she, you know, would have been wise to remarry, but Anna was an unusual person. And her decision was equally unusual. God had spoken to her heart and she had chosen to remain single. To give herself wholly, completely to God and the work of the ministry. That wasn't easy. In May of 2001, Eric Weihemeyer, I hope I said that correctly, Eric accomplished something that only about 150 people every year do. He reached the top of Mount Everest. Now, the thing that made Eric's achievement unusual is that he he was the first blind person to succeed in scaling the tallest mountain in the world. He was born with a disease that left him without sight. By the age of 13, he couldn't see a thing. Rather than focus on what he could not do, he made a choice to focus on what he could do, and he went much further than anyone would have ever imagined. Eric's autobiography is entitled, Touch the Top of the World, A Blind Man's Journey to Climb Farther Than the Eye Can See. So you know what? Many times you and I will face a choice. The question is, will we allow obstacles to stop us, or will we keep pressing on regardless of the opposition or trouble? Those are decisions that you and I make. Anna could have easily said, well, I've just lost my husband. I, I don't even have a child. I, I, I'm not in any way going. I and mean, then God has let me down. But she didn't. She was committed to God. She was committed to the ministry. So much so that she gave her life to it. And for 84 years, she served faithfully. It'd be nice if following God meant that things would always work out well, that everybody would always like us, but the reality is that that sometimes doing what's right requires overcoming obstacles in our life. It's just a reality. You know, we shouldn't expect a constant smooth sailing, so to speak, nor should we allow troubles to rise up in our life and convince us to quit either. I wonder, does anything stand in your way or keep you from God and His service? As a believer, you have to be committed, and your first commitment is to God Himself. You know, too many times we find ourselves committed to the wrong thing or the wrong person. We're committed to the ministry, maybe. Maybe. And that's a good thing. But unfortunately, when the ministry goes awry or something transpires or takes place that doesn't seat well with us, then all of a sudden we give up on the ministry and on God, unfortunately, at times. Our first commitment needs to be to God himself. Our first commitment needs to be to the one who died for us and saved our soul. And then it's to the ministry in which he gives us. Sometimes we're committed to the wrong person. We're committed to a spouse more than we're committed to the Savior that gave us the spouse. We're committed to a child of whom God permitted us to have. Sad, 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 sad case it is when someone comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, gets saved and begins to serve the Lord, and then begins to beg God, Oh God, oh God, give me a wife or a husband. You say, what's sad about that? It's not sad Till pretty soon God hears their cry, answers their prayer, and then they give up on the God that gave the person to them. That bothers me. Or, oh God, I need a child, oh God, give me a baby, and then they, God gives them a baby, and then where are they at? What happened? Well, I have responsibilities now. I've got a responsibility to take care of my wife and family. I've got a responsibility to take care of my baby. I've got a responsibility. You know what you've got a responsibility? To be committed to God. Amen. Amen. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You didn't get a spouse because you served the world. You didn't get a baby because you were serving the world. You got it because God gave that to you Amen. as a steward. Too many times... We're committed to the wrong person or to the wrong thing. That's a sad place to be in a believer's life because all of a sudden the things that are most important are no longer important. Our priorities get all out of whack. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. God's not asking us to do anything unreasonable, And he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He spends 11 chapters in the book of Romans pointing out his wonderful mercy in our life. And he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, as you look back on those 11 chapters, you consider what I've already done. I now ask you to present yourselves a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. And it's your reasonable service. After all that I've done for you, after everything I've given you, can you imagine Anna? <laughs> here she is, just a young 13 or 14 year old girl. She marries, and in those days that was very common. It wasn't uncommon, it wasn't weird, it wasn't perverted, it was just the way it was. And now here she is with a husband. And her life is beginning, and she thinks to herself, I'm going to have everything that a wife should have. I'm going to have everything that a mom should have. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. And seven years later, no child and no husband. But you're to give yourself completely to me, he says. Have you lost someone or something that causes you now to become bitter toward God and keeps you from him and his work? Let me ask this question. Have you gained someone or something that now causes you to become distracted and disenfranchised from God and his work? We always look at, well, what have I lost? Why would I be angry at God? Well, maybe God's given you something, and that's what's causing you no longer to be committed to him. Your allegiances, your loyalties have changed. Anna was committed to, To God first, then to the ministry. Number two, Anna was consistent. Not only was she committed, she was consistent. Eighty-four years. Eighty-four years. Isn't it funny today how it is with married couples, you know? They get married and people come along and say, well, how's married life? It's wonderful. (gasps) Wait till you've been married five years. Five years comes along. How's married life? Oh, we love it. Yeah, wait till you've been married ten. They're not giving advice anymore. They're testifying. (laughs) Man, consistency in the life of a... Married couple, consistency in the life of a Christian. How valuable, how important is that? Anna, 84 years. How's it going in the temple, Anna? Just like it did day one, I love it. You say, how do you know that? Because there's no way God would have rewarded her the way he did if she wasn't a faithful servant, consistent. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You think about people in the Bible who were faithful and consistent all the way through. Think of the Apostle Paul who said, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Consistency. Paul admonishes Timothy to preach the word. Why in the world does he tell him to do that? He says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. He said there's coming a day when there's going to be a people who will no longer be consistent, who will no longer be committed and consistent to my word, my truth, myself. Timothy, while there's opportunity, you better preach it now because they'll not always be committed. They'll not always be consistent. They'll not always be concerned about the truth. Demas, on the other hand, was one of those ones who wasn't consistent. Paul the Apostle writes in 2 Timothy 4 10, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Man, he started off so strong. You would have seen Demas in the church, and man, I mean, the, evangelist, the, 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 the traveling evangelist shows up, and all of a sudden Demas runs up and says, Hey, I'm Demas. Sticks his hand out, shakes it. And he says, You haven't even preached. But bless God, would you sign my Bible? Man, I mean, he was on the front row. He was listening to the preaching. He was the preacher's right-hand man. He was all in for Jesus Christ. At the start. But time has a way of wearing on you. And if we don't keep our first love we'll lose our past life. And all of a sudden, Demas no longer has the burning desire to be in the house of God like he used to. He no longer is so concerned about reading his Bible or praying like he used to. He's no longer as concerned about being the right-hand man of the man of God. Now he's content just to show up, just to do his duty, just to get his ministry taken care of. i got to teach again this week. i got to run that bus again this week. i got to sing in the choir. Can you believe that? They're going to have a practice, and it's holiday weekend. No longer joy-filled. It's no longer a blessing but a burden. See, Demas wasn't consistent. He was committed and he was consistent, but he didn't continue in it. Oh, 84 years Anna remained faithful. 84 years she was consistent. Thomas Edison is considered one of the greatest inventors of all time. Do you realize that his school career lasted three months? The teacher believed he was incapable of learning. I mean, learning anything. So he sent him home. Some of you got children like that. and Some of you have a husband like that. (laughs) Okay. I got to score some points with the ladies, fellas. Come on now. You keep them happy, you're good to go. (laughs) So what happened? Edison's mom said, you know what? I believe in my son, and I'm going to teach him myself. And so she began to teach her son at home. He had to overcome some insurmountable objects or obstacles, but you know what he did? Some of his creations were the incandescent light bulb, they say the phonograph, the fluoroscope. Do you know that most of those inventions didn't just happen overnight? It didn't just come easy. As a matter of fact, it required months, if not years of dedication to overcome obstacles before you saw any results. In 1921, there was an interview with Thomas Edison, and he described his persistence this way. He said, quote, after we had conducted thousands of experiments on a certain project without solving the problem, one of my associates, after we had conducted the crowning experiment, experiment, and it had proved a failure, expressed discouragement and disgust over our having failed to find out anything. I cheerily, he says, now that's how they talked. I cheerily assured him that we had learned something. For we had learned for a certainty that the thing couldn't be done that way and that we would have to try some other way. Wow. Now, that's a positive outlook, isn't it? That's a man that's consistent. No matter what the outcome, he's going to stay consistent. Very few things of significance or value are achieved without overcoming serious obstacles. There are very few overnight successes, so to speak. They've all been a lot of work behind the scenes. Anna was that person. She was consistent. You know, I am sure that there were fellows that came along that caught her eye. But she had made a commitment and was determined to be consistent. I'm sure she longed for a child of her own from time to time, but she'd made a commitment and was determined to be consistent. I'm sure she visited the homes of some of the other ladies in the church church or the the temple. She found herself thinking about what it would be like to go home to her own home. But she had made a commitment and was determined to be consistent. It is vital. It is imperative that a believer who has put their hand to the plow never looks back. The Bible tells us in Luke 9, 62, and Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He's saying, Once you get on this road, once you've received Christ, once you've given your life to the Lord, the Master, don't look back. Be consistent. Go forward at all costs. It's funny, isn't it, how tempted we are to think that our burdens among all people is the most difficult. Oh, you just don't understand is it so hard? Tell Anna that. A teenage bride, a widow, probably by age 20, 21. She knew a little bit of heartache and hardship. But it's funny how we do. We view other people's lives not nearly as difficult as our own and therefore we use those difficulties as excuses so many times to be uncommitted, and inconsistent. There's a poem called The Changed Cross. It represents this very weary, worn-out one who thought of her cross as being the heaviest of all. And she wished that she could at some point exchange hers for another's. So she went to sleep that night, and in her dream, she was led to a place where many crosses were laying Crosses of different shapes and different sizes. There was a little one that was most beautiful to behold. It was set in jewels and gold. I mean, it was immaculate. And she thought to herself, oh, this I can wear with comfort. She took it up. But realizing how heavy it was and how difficult it was to bear, she began to crush under its weight. See, the jewels and the gold were beautiful, but they were far too heavy for her. Next, she saw this lovely cross. I mean, it had these beautiful flowers, and, and, and it was just in somewhat like a sculptured form. It was so gorgeous, so beautiful. And surely, surely that was the one for her. She lifted it, but beneath the flowers were piercing thorns which tore her flesh. At last, as she went on, she came to this plain cross. No jewels, no carvings, no flowers. Only a few words of love inscribed upon it. This she took up, and it proved to be the best of all. It proved to be the easiest to be born. And as she looked upon it, she recognized her own cross. She had found it again. It was the plain cross. That simple cross. And it proved to be the best for her and the lightest of all. See, God knows best what cross we need to bear. We don't really know how heavy other people's crosses are. You know, we see the outside, and we assume we understand and know, and we think to ourselves, I wish I had their life. I wish I had their wife or husband. I wish I had their home. I wish I had their cars. I wish I had their money. I wish I had, and we see the gold. We see the jewels, and we think, oh, I wish I could bear that cross. It'd be so much better than mine. We don't realize how much weight there is. Oh, look how beautiful it is. Oh, they have the perfect marriage. They have the perfect family. They have the perfect, ah, you don't realize the burden they bear maybe. And I'm talking about even in a bad way. So many times we'll use our burden as an excuse not to be committed or consistent. When Mr. and Mrs. Henry Ford celebrated their golden wedding anniversary, a reporter asked them, to what do you attribute your 50 years of successful married life? The formula, said Mr. Ford, it's the same formula I've always used in making cars. Just stick to one model. <laughs> stick to one model. That's good advice when it comes to our Christian life. Be consistent. Follow the Lord. Be content and remain faithful to Him. Finally, Anna was confident. Not only was she committed. Not only was she consistent, but she was confident. She was confident in the Lord. She believed the God of Israel. She believed in Him and she believed everything about Him. And in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy path." Trust in the Lord. Anna did that. She had confidence in the Scriptures. In Psalm 119, verse 160, the Bible says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. She knew for 84 years with confidence. She believed without a doubt in her God. She believed in the Scriptures that said the Messiah was coming. She had confidence in her Lord and in the Scriptures. She had confidence in her calling. How many times have we started something strong and we failed to follow through? How many times have we said, I believe God spoke to me. I believe God told me. Just think for a moment, would you please, with me, back to just a month or so ago when we were taking up our offering for the faith promise. We're begging God to speak to our hearts and to give us a number. And he gave us a number. And probably in many cases, it was higher than the one last year. And about now, we start to think, maybe God didn't tell me to do that. It's getting tough now. That extra money is starting to weigh pretty heavy on our budget. We don't have the money. That was our first mistake, basing everything on our budget instead of basing everything on the Word of God. I'm not saying be stupid with your money, and I'm not saying being ignorant or a bad steward, but I am telling you this. When God gives you a number, it's not based on what you can afford, it's based on what he will provide. But don't we, at times, begin to wonder, we'll question things. How many young people have believed God called them to the ministry, but then all of a sudden in time, we begin to question the calling of God? Can I tell you, Anna never questioned her calling, because 84 years later, she was still in the midst of it. I'm going to tell you what, troubles will come and trials will come. And I promise you, the only thing at times that will keep you going is knowing that God put me there. Sometimes people will come to Community Baptist and say, I want to join the church. And I'll say, but does God want you to? Because the truth is, you wanting to be here will not keep you here. The only thing that will keep you here is knowing that God puts you here. Because it's not going to be always a bed of roses. And everything from the pulpit will not always be exactly what you want to hear. And it's not always going to be smooth sailing. Someone's going to give you a crooked look. Someone's going to smile a little bit off. Someone's going to say something you don't like. And you're going to be tempted. to. The devil's going to get in your ear and say, you better get out of here. They don't love you here. They don't appreciate you here. I'm going to tell you, you better know. You better know. You better know. God called you here. Because that's the only thing that will keep you here sometimes, is knowing God put you here. We hear preachers walking out of pulpits left and right in America. Well, I believe my work here is done. You better make sure it's not you believing it's done. It better be God telling you it's done. Well, they don't want to hear me no more. They don't want to listen to me anymore. They don't want to pay me anymore. That has nothing to do with where you preach. It has everything to do with where God puts you no matter what. You better be sure of your calling. You better be confident in that calling. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Calling. Anna had read. She had heard about the coming Messiah. She had committed it to memory, and even more important, she committed it to her heart. She believed, and that belief affected her living. For 84 years, Anna was still in the temple. After 84 years, she still loved the Lord and looked for the Messiah. After 84 years, she was still faithful and could be heard witnessing of His coming. But we spend a lot of time doubting, fretting, and worrying about things today. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, the Bible says, be careful for nothing but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If we spend less time, if we would spend less time worrying and more time working, we'd be amazed what could be accomplished. How confident are you that you've met the Master? I mean, I can only imagine Anna that day walking in on Simeon, and there she sees. Simeon holding a babe. His eyes are lit up. His face is aglow as he peers into the face of a almighty God. The God. The creator of the universe. And she says, wow. It is was worth it all. 84 years seems like a dream now. I'm so glad I was consistent. I'm so glad I was committed. I'm so glad I never lost hope. But stayed confident in my Lord, in the scriptures and my call. one day and we don't know when he's coming back or one day before he comes we'll die and go to meet him will we be able to look him in the eye and say I'm so glad so glad I stayed committed consistent, and confident. Will we hang our head and regret the decisions we've made, the life we've lived, the direction we've gone? Anna never regretted those 84 years in that temple because when she saw the face of Jesus, it was worth it all. Oh, I'm sure there were times that It wasn't easy. But in the end, she was grateful. Can I tell you, in our lives, it's not always easy to stay committed, consistent, and confident in our call. There'll be many people, many things, many circumstances that will try to convince us otherwise, but you'll never regret it when you see him in the face, face to face, Do you know for sure if you died, you'd meet the Lord in the air? When you close your eyes, will you be in his presence? Do you know without a doubt heaven's your home? Do you have a relationship with Christ? Not that you know about him, but that he knows you. Do you remember recognizing yourself as the sinner, a sinner before a holy, righteous God? feeling as though you have no right to even look up to heaven let alone be in his presence and that conviction brought you to your knees caused you to beg for mercy realizing that you had no hope but him and his grace you didn't deserve to be forgiven you didn't deserve become part of the family of God you knew you didn't deserve to one day bask in heaven with him or to call him your father but you begged him for his mercy and his forgiveness and you cried out and called unto him to be your Lord and Savior you say I, I don't know that I ever did that well then you need to Isn't it sad today how flippant, how nonchalant receiving the Lord can be? Well, yeah, I've done some bad things, I guess. I guess, Yeah, you're right, I'm a sinner, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd have to admit, yeah, yeah, I've done some things probably that didn't please the Lord. Yeah, I'll accept him, sure. Yeah, what, what, what? I just, I just need to ask him for... for I just need to... Oh, what, well, I got to pray and ask him to save me? Oh, yeah, okay. Well, yeah. No wonder we see a drought of commitment and consistency in the people of God today. Is it possible that they're not the people of God? But a people putting on a good show because let me tell you something this this does not equal salvation something had to change here he had to move in It's not what you do that ultimately will prove to God that you're his child. It's who you are. You may be able to fool us because we see the outside, but he sees the inside. If you died today, will you find yourself in the very presence of God or will you split hell wide open? Will you make the biggest splash this side of heaven? Let me tell you something. We're playing games today. It's time to stop playing and still get real with God. If you don't know Christ as your Savior and there's never been a time and place when you can put your finger on accepting and acknowledging your guilt before him and crying out for his mercy and forgiveness, if you don't know that he's your Savior and Lord, you better settle that today. The Bible says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. For God did so love the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's time to stop depending on what you do and start depending on what he's already done. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that you'd bless us today. Maybe there are those in our midst who have yet to receive and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. They don't know for sure. If they died, they'd even go to heaven. As a matter of fact, now the Holy Spirit of God is convicting them of sin, and they're right now having doubts of things. They're worried now. They're concerned. There's a burden on their heart. There's a weight on their shoulders and they know they need to settle some things. Lord, may they not dismiss it as simply just a feeling. May they understand that your, your spirit is at work in their life and that they need to settle their soul salvation today. They need to come to the Savior, admit their guilt, and receive and accept him as Lord and Savior today. And Lord, there may be believers in our midst as well today who have struggled with their commitment, who have struggled with some consistency, who have struggled with their calling. And Lord, they want to settle some things. They want to make sure when they are confronted with you face-to-face, when they see you face-to-face, that they can know that they were as committed and as consistent and as confident as they could possibly have been that they've done what they could. and They did it to please you, to honor you, to glorify you. Father, help us now, Lord, as believers, not to play a game, but to truly be serious about our work and our relationship with you. We'll thank you in Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed.